Recently, LifeWay Research uh, released a survey that they did of 23 to 30-year-olds, so young adults, and they asked them about their experiences of church when they were between the ages of 18 and 22. So they're interviewing 23 to 30-year-olds about life when they were between the ages of 18 and 22. And what they found, which was uh, rather sobering, is that 66% or two-thirds had left church for at least a year during that period. That they had walked away from the Lord, had left church, had stopped being involved and engaged. And in order to sort of qualify for the survey, you had to have been engaged and involved with the church uh, during your teenage years. And so uh, they did this survey, and I read those results, and I thought, well, that's pretty discouraging. They also then asked, what was the reasons why you left? And there were lots of different reasons, so you could circle different things, multiple things. But the number one reason, and 71% of people indicated this, that they didn't leave the church for any intentional purposes, meaning it just sort of happened. And the number one reason that I think 96% of them circled was change in life circumstances. Going off to college, getting a job, getting married, moving out of the house, whatever it may be, is that uh, the majority, the vast majority of them simply fell out and stopped doing it. And it wasn't because they necessarily stopped believing or they were confronted with atheistic beliefs that they couldn't answer or somehow they got disillusioned. They simply, life circumstances changed and they fell out of the habit or going to church and they simply found themselves not a part of the people of God for at least a year. The survey concluded this uh, about that. Most of the reasons young people, young adults leave the church reflect shifting personal priorities and changes in their own habits. Even when churches have faithfully communicated their beliefs through words and actions, not every teenager who attends prioritizes those beliefs. Now an encouraging thing in the survey was for those that stayed, and remained connected, the number one reason why they continue to go to church was that that was where they met God, is that it facilitated their relationship with God. Now, when you put these two groups sort of side by side, the group that continued to go and to be a part uh, of what was happening, because it was a vital part of their relationship with God, and you put them next to the group that was like, you know what? Life circumstances changed, and I just kind of stopped going. This group for which just a change in life circumstance, a move, college, whatever, was enough to stop them from being a part of the people of God. Unfortunately, Jesus would say about this group, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now those words that Jesus used come to us from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 29. And Isaiah 29 is following on from where we were in Isaiah 28, where a couple of weeks ago we talked about the fact that there are some people for whom despite the fact that God continues to reach out, despite the fact that God continues to talk, 
despite the fact that God continues to try to warm their hearts, continue to say back to God, yeah, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And Isaiah 29 says, those kind of people, they may honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, one of the things that that survey did for me when I read the results is it was sort of sobering. And the question that came to mind is, well, what hope is there? Maybe you felt that way after the sermon in Isaiah 28 when you think about the fact that, you know, at some point God says, look, if you're going to keep saying to me whatever, I don't really care. At some point God's going to say back to us, okay, fine, blah, 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 back to you. And maybe the question that was raised a couple of weeks ago, or even this morning is, what happens if that happens? And maybe you're not thinking so much of you, because if you're here, this is maybe not your situation, but maybe you're thinking of a loved one or a friend who honors God with their lips, but whose hearts are far from him. Maybe you're thinking of a college student or a young adult who's Simply the change of priorities, other things, they just got too busy to be part of what God's doing. And the question is, what hope is there? Well, Isaiah 29 is a message of hope. For those who are caught in hypocrisy, who are wayward, whose hearts have grown cold or apathetic to the Lord. And if you have someone that you love who's in that situation... I find Isaiah 29 to be rather encouraging. And if you are someone who's in that situation, I find Isaiah 29 to be rather encouraging. So if you would, take a Bible, and please turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 29. It's page 576 in the church Bibles. Isaiah 29. While you're turning, let me set sort of the context of what we're going to hear in Isaiah 29. I don't know about you, but when I hear a survey like that from the LifeWay Research Group, there's lots of those kinds of surveys and they take place all the time. My first response is, what should we do differently as a church to make sure that doesn't happen? Like, what are the programs we could change? What are the things we could do differently? How do we do a better job as a church to make sure that doesn't happen? That's why in one sense it was both relieving and discouraging to find out it really wasn't a factor of what the church was doing. It was that people just simply didn't prioritize these beliefs to be part of their life. But still, I want to ask the question, what could we do better? As a parent, I want to ask the question, what do I need to do differently to make sure that my kids don't do that? As a friend, I hear a survey like that and I think, what do I need to do for the people I know around me who may be in that situation? And the immediate response to a survey like that is, what should you or I do differently? Isaiah 29 is not talking about that. There are some great things that we could think about, but that's not what this morning is about. Isaiah 29 wants us to take our focus off of ourselves and what we have done or haven't done, could do or couldn't do, and put them on God. And I want to share with you from Isaiah 29 what it is God says he's going to do in relation to those who are hypocrites, who are wayward, whose hearts have grown cold. We begin 
in verses 10 through 12. Now, what you have up to verse 10, and especially in verses 10 through 12, is the follow-on from chapter 28, where God said, hey, look, there are some people who no matter what I say, they keep responding to me, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And God says, I'm going to harden their hearts, I'm going to close their eyes, I'm going to stop talking to them. Well, that's where we are in Isaiah 29, and we pick it up in verse 10. Speaking of those who are complacent and whose hearts have grown cold towards the Lord, the Lord has brought over you a deep sleep. He has sealed your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. For you, this whole vision, meaning all of Isaiah, is nothing but words sealed in a scroll, just words on a page. And if you give the scroll to someone who can read and say, read this, please, they will answer, I can't. It is sealed. Or if you give the scroll to someone who cannot read and say, read this, please, they will answer, I don't know how to read. What's happening in Isaiah 29 is exactly what God said would happen in Isaiah 28, which is, if you continue to ignore what I'm saying to you, I'm going to stop talking. He calls it, I'm going to bring a deep sleep over you. Now that's a metaphor, but in reality, it actually sometimes is literally true. There are some people, college students, young adults, and others, whom God used to wake up on Sunday morning and say, it's time to come and be part of my people. And now he's just simply letting you sleep. Though you and I have insisted for so long we want to do things our way, we want to live a life our way, that we're so exhausted on Sunday morning that God's like, fine, I'm just going to let you sleep. You don't want to get out of bed? I used to get you up and tell you you need to be here. Now, I'm just going to let you sleep. And the truth of the matter is, is that God does close people's eyes and he plugs their ears and he says, if you're just going to ignore what I say, fine, have it your way. If you're going to sleepwalk your way through life, you might as well just stay in bed. Now, why would God do that? <laughs> Well, verses 13 through 16 give us an insight into his heart towards those who are hypocrites, whose love has grown cold, who simply refuse to listen to him. This is what he says. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? Why does God get to the point where he's like, look, if you want to sleep, just stay in bed? Three reasons in these verses, and it shows the grief and the anguish in God's heart over being treated this way. Number one, he says in verse 13, they really don't love me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
The picture here is like in a marriage where one person just simply stops trying. God says, I've not stopped loving them. But they're just going through the motions. It's like a friendship where you text and you call and you remember their birthday and you send them a card and you pray for them and you realize that the other person's just going through the motions. That outwardly they say you're friends, but they don't do anything. It's, it's painful, isn't it? It's hurtful to say, you know what? My spouse, my friend, this loved one, it's a one-way relationship. God's saying, that's how I feel. It's a one-way relationship. They say all sorts, oh yes, I'm a Christian. God's like, you say that, but your heart's not with me. So hear the pain and the sadness of God. He's grieved. Just the same way you and I are. If someone we love seems to not want to have much to do with us. Secondly, you can hear the pain, God's frustration. Verse 15, they go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord who do their work in darkness and think who sees us, who will know. God says, it's not like you don't love other stuff. I see how you feel about video games. I know how you feel about pornography. I know how you feel about money. I know how much you like being online. I know how much you love food. It's not like you simply have no emotions. I get and I see what you're doing. You think you're hiding it all. But I see it. And God is frustrated and grieved because he's like, do you not think I know? Do you not think I know how your heart feels about those things? Do you not think I see what you do? It's just me that you're not interested in. There are plenty of things in this life that you love. I'm just not one of them. It's painful. Third reason, verse 16. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the potter, pot say to the potter, you know nothing? Why is it so grieving to God when we ignore him? Because God created us. He knows what will be a blessing to us. He wants to bless us. He has purposed in this life to lead us to places of joy and of peace and of goodness. This is his stated purpose and everything that he does is for our blessing. Yet we say back to God, you don't really know what you're doing. And we think if I could just be the most popular kid at school, then I'd be happy. If I could just have an affair with this person, then I would be happy. If I could just have these financial resources, then I would be happy. And we keep saying to God, yeah, 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 that's what you think is going to make me happy. But I know what's going to make me happy. This food, this alcohol, this success, this promotion, that's what's going to fill me with joy. And God says, I made you. I know how life works. I know you better than you know yourself. I'm trying to lead you to a place that I know will bless you. And instead we're like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. This is what I really want. It's grieving to God's heart. It's insulting. So what hope is there for someone who's in that position? whose heart has grown cold for the person who says, yeah, whatever, God. I got my priorities. These are the things I want. Nobody sees what happens in the darkness of the night. 
What hope is there? If you're in that situation, what hope is there if someone you love is in that situation? Verses 17 to 24. In a very short time, will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field? And the fertile field seem like a forest. In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The ruthless will vanish. The mockers will disappear. And all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. Those who with a word make someone out to be guilty, who ensnare the defender in court, and with false testimony deprive the innocent of justice. Now watch this. Therefore, this is what the Lord who redeemed Abraham says to the descendants of Jacob. No longer will Jacob be ashamed. No longer will their faces grow pale. When they see among them their children, the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding. Those who complain will accept instruction. This is completely unexpected. You would think that after God says, okay, there's a whole group of people out there whose hearts have grown cold toward me, and as a result, I'm just letting them sleep in. As a result, their eyes are closed, their ears are plugged, they open up the scroll, they read it, they're like, I don't have any idea what's going on, I don't really care. After God tells you that his heart is grieved, that they honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him? After God tells you that he's insulted, that they think so little of him and what he plans, you would expect the wrath of God. You would expect, I'm going to punch him in the face. But that's not what you get. What you get is this crazy promise that God's going to keep loving them. That we're going to be astounded to see what God does to turn their hearts. That this God has purposed to go after the wayward. That he's purposed to go after the hypocrite and the hard-hearted and the cold-hearted and those who want nothing to do with him. He said, you're going to be amazed to see what I do in their lives. It's like that married couple I talked about where one partner simply given up. Let's just say it's the husband in this case. And the wife sees that all her uh, attempts to reestablish romance and love and kindness are simply going unheeded. And the husband is simply a husband in words only and just going through the motions. You can imagine the wife saying to herself, you know what? This is ridiculous. Why do I keep doing this? And she finally says, that's it. I'm done. And whether it's separation or divorce or simply leading two different lives in the same household. But one day she says, you know what? I love him. I'm going to try again. That's this attitude. You know what? I'm not going to give up. I love him. I'm going to try again. It's like those two friends where one is like, I keep texting. I keep calling. I keep pursuing. I keep getting hurt. And finally they say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. And then you just can't help yourself. And you're like, I'm going to try one more time. Why? Because you love them. That's what God is saying here. He's saying to the wayward, 
to the hypocrite, to the cold-hearted, to those who've walked away. I just can't help myself. It's like the father whose son insists on his inheritance early, takes the money and leaves and wants nothing to do with the dad anymore. And the dad says, okay, go. But then he sits at the edge of the city gates or on his phone or on the computer, just waiting, waiting desperately for word that his son's going to come home. And after all this, God says, watch and see what I do. I'm going to amaze you. Look at verse 22 and 23. No longer will Jacob be ashamed. No longer will their faces grow pale. This is talking about people who see those who are wayward in heart, those whose love have grown cold. It's you and I who look at our children or our parents or our friends or our loved ones and we say, this is It's hurtful, it's embarrassing, it's painful. They've walked away from the Lord. He says, no longer is that going to happen. Why? When they see among them their children, the work of my hands. The point is we think we hear a survey like I just read you from Lifeway Research and we think, I gotta do something to fix this. We see a friend who's walked away from the Lord and we think, how can I try to tell them that they're wrong? We see a loved one whose heart is drifting cold towards the Lord and we think, how do I fix this situation? The good news of Isaiah 29 is God has said, I'm gonna be the one who does the work. I'm gonna be the one who fixes this. I'm gonna be the one who pursues them. And when you see what I do for that person, you're going to be amazed. You're going to be overwhelmed. One of the really positive things about the survey that I read to you is, again, this was just from 23 to 30-year-olds. About It was kind of hard to read the survey, but it looks like about half of those who left between 18 and 22 were back with the Lord before they got to 30. And I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't because the church got fixed. <laughs> It was because it was the work of God's hands that God continued to pursue them. And the good news is, the other 50%, God's still pursuing them. This past December 8th, so what, like six weeks ago, something like that, my mom uh, gave me a call and she was giddy uh, as a young schoolgirl. And uh, I was like, what you so excited about, mom? It's like, you're never going to guess what God did for her sister, my aunt. So my aunt uh, had, uh, a long time ago, 40-some years ago, married somebody who was not a Christian, and not long after that, walked away from the Lord, and really wanted nothing to do with the Lord, and for probably 40-some years, 30-some years, uh, had wanted nothing to do with the Lord, and really had gotten sort of antagonistic, and wouldn't let my mom even talk about God, or even mention his name, in conversation. And so my mom had prayed for her for years and years and years, and at times I kind of thought to myself, eh, I think it's time to give up. (laughs) But here she is, 75 years old. On December 8th, my mom calls me and says, you're never going to guess what happened. What? God appeared to your aunt in a dream (laughs) and called her back to church. And she's been in church every week since. And the Lord is warming her heart towards him. That's the work of God's hands. That's what he promises that you would think. Look, after some point, 75 years old, enough's enough. But that's not what God says. He says, you're going to be amazed that every one of these people whose hearts are cold, every one of these people who's wandered away from me, I'm going to pursue them. Now, does that mean 
that every single person who's a hypocrite, who's wayward, whose hearts are cold toward God, that God will bring them back. Unfortunately, no. God can't do that without overriding their free will. Does that mean that every person who rejects Jesus will someday turn around and come back to the light? Unfortunately, the answer is no. But the good news of Isaiah 29 is that a whole lot will. And that you and I are going to be amazed. Look what it says in verse 23. They will stand in awe of the God of Israel. When they see what God, when we see what God has done, we're going to stand in awe. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take a little bit of a survey. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to be really bold and stand. Now, all you're going to have to do is you're just standing to testify that you fit in the category of the survey, and then I'm going to have you sit back down. So I think there's a three different questions I want you to think about. So I'm going to start with the first one, and we're just going to do this together, and we're going to see how it goes. If you're here today, and you would describe yourself as having been a prodigal, having wandered away from the Lord, having had a period in your life where you stopped going to church, you stopped wanting to have anything to do with the Lord, and perhaps you got engaged with activity that you know the Lord didn't want anything to do with, if that was your situation and God brought you back, I just want you to stand where you are. Now I want you to take a minute and just look around the room. God says, you will stand and be amazed at what I did. Go ahead, you can sit back down. Now obviously you could say if you stood for that question, you should probably stand for the next question. I'm saying if you stood for the first question, you, you probably don't need to stand for the second question because I'm trying to get a different group. But if you feel compelled to stand, just stand. <laughs> second question is this, or second group is this. If perhaps you never really left the church, you maybe kept going, but you were just simply going through the motions. And again, I don't mean like there was some sin in your life. We all have that. I mean there was a significant period of time where you're like, you know what? I just didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care about God. I just went because of tradition or for whatever reason. But in the midst of that cold-heartedness, for however long it lasted, God came and found you and ignited or reignited a passion for him. If that's your situation, please stand. Again, take a look around. This is the work of God's hands. All right, sit back down. Third question for our survey. If you saw God do this, what I'm talking about, meaning go find someone who's wayward and bring them back. Go pursue a hypocrite and transform their heart for someone you love. Now, I don't mean like your third cousin's former roommate's aunt. Okay, that's really cool if you've seen that. I'm talking about somebody that you've prayed for, somebody that you've longed for God to go and get, and he went and got them and brought them back. I'd like you to stand. This is the work of God's hands. Look around the room. 
It's so easy when you have someone you love, you think there's no hope for them. You hear a survey like that, two thirds of people stop going to church for you. Look around the room, God says, they will stand amazed at what I did. Go ahead, you can be seated. This is the God we serve. This is the God, the one who should have been most insulted, the one who should be most hurt, the one who's been most rejected. This is the one who says, you will be amazed that my love will overcome their hardness of heart. And so you ask me the question, will every person who has rejected the Lord come back to him? And unfortunately, because of human free will, I have to answer no. But please hear the word of Isaiah 29. God says, you will be amazed. And it might take one year, it might take 10 years, it might take 40 years, but you will stand amazed. And I'm here to testify this morning, I'm amazed. I had the best seat in the house for this. This is who God is. This is why he says they will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob. There's no one like him. No one goes and does this except him. And the point is the new heavens and the new earth will be filled with hypocrites and wayward children and cold-hearted indifferent people that God pursued and turn their hearts to him. So in just a minute, I'm gonna close this in prayer and I'm gonna ask one more group to stand. And I want you to stand because I'm gonna pray over you. And that is, if you know somebody who has not yet come back to the Lord. And again, we all know people. I'm talking about somebody for whom your heart aches. I'm talking about somebody you're desperate to see God go and get. I'm talking about that person that God brought you here this morning to tell you, don't despair. Don't give up hope. I'd simply like you now, please, to stand, and I'm going to pray over you as I close this in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, there's a lot of pain represented right here. Lord, there's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of hopelessness. Lord, I know, I know that every person standing has tried. They've prayed, they loved, they've argued. They argued when they shouldn't have argued. They tried to talk them into coming back. Lord, they gave generously. They tried to twist their arm. They tried to make them. Lord, we've tried everything under the sun. Oh, Lord God, but... Today, I pray and give them into your hands. Lord, this is the work not of their hands, but of your hands. God, would you amaze them? Would you amaze us? Lord, I can't, I'm overwhelmed at the testimonies of people in this sanctuary standing. Hypocrites, wayward children, those doing things in the secret of the night that you pursued and you love and you won to yourself. And so, Lord, that hope fills us with hope for these situations. And so, God, I ask for you to simply do what you've already promised to do. Lord, I don't have to convince you to go after them. You already want to. I don't have to convince you to do this. This is your plan. And so, Lord, I simply lay each person represented by those standing here into your care. 
And God, I ask you to do again what you've done in the past and amaze us. You are the Holy One of Israel. God, you are the one who finds the wayward child. You leave the 99 to bring back the one who's lost. And when you, Lord of all people, should be most hurt and most angry and most furious, you're the one who resolves to give the wayward understanding. And so God, amaze us with the work of your hands. Go and find our friends, our spouses, our children, our parents, our neighbors, our coworkers, Lord, those that our hearts hurt for. Go and find them and win them with your love. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.